Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hang up and listen. Olympics Extra is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with an easy online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash hangup. Hi, this is Josh Levine. I'm Slate's sports editor and host of Slate's sports podcast, Hang Up and Listen. It's August 11th, 2016, and this is your Hang Up and Listen, Olympics Extra. On Wednesday in Rio, the U.S. women's field hockey team beat Japan 6-1 to advance to the Olympic quarterfinals. The Americans, who placed 12th in London and 8th in Beijing, will play an opponent to be determined on Monday. And also, I'd like to mention that the team's headquarters in Lancaster, PA, are touted as the nation's largest indoor sports complex, and also they are located on Spooky Nook Road. The U.S. men were eliminated from medal contention in the inaugural Rugby Sevens competition, though New England Patriots safety Nate Ebner, who's on a break from NFL training camp, did score a try in the Americans' 26-0 win over hosts Brazil, a New England Patriot we can all get behind. And Kazakhstan, which has 45 all-time medals in shooting, 40 in judo, and 35 in wrestling, suggesting that if you meet a random Kazakh in the Olympic Village, you should smile extremely politely, won its first ever Olympic medal in swimming as Dmitry Balandin won gold in the men's 200-meter breaststroke. Here's what he heard as he stood proudly on the podium.
What he did not hear was the fake national anthem of Kazakhstan from the movie Borat, which officials in Kuwait mistakenly played to celebrate a Kazakh athlete's victory in, naturally, a shooting competition in 2012. Also at the Maria Link Aquatic Center on Wednesday night, Katie Ledecky swam the anchor leg as the American women glided past the field in a 4 by 200 freestyle relay. Ledecky, who entered the pool trailing by almost a second, ended up taking the United States to victory over Australia by almost two seconds. It was the fourth medal of the Rio Games for Ledecky, three of them gold, and she is the heavy, heavy favorite to win gold in her fifth event, the 800-meter freestyle on Friday night. At the World Championships in 2015, Ledecky set a new world record of 8.07.39 in the 800, beating the field by more than 10 seconds. Joining us now to discuss what makes Katie Ledecky the world's most dominant swimmer is Terry Laughlin. Terry has coached swimming since 1972. He's coached 24 national champions and two Olympic medalists. He's the author of the book Total Immersion, the revolutionary way to swim better, faster, and easier. He's the proprietor of Total Immersion Swimming, which has 400 coaches in 30 countries and teaches fish-like swimming, which emphasizes balance, streamlining, and a fluent, graceful stroke. Did I get that right, Terry? That's pretty good, Josh. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us. And when you watch Katie Ledecky in the Olympics, I think all of us, you know, novices in swimming technique, most of us marvel at what we see, but don't really understand what we see. We see her pulling away. Um, but could you explain to us what you see when you watch her swim, what she does technically that allows her to be such a superstar? When she won the 200-meter freestyle at the World Championships in Kazan uh, in, in 2015, that was her first championship in a race as short as 200 meters. That was the only race of, of that meet in which she was actually pressed, in which, in which she had to reach deep to win. When the pressure was on, her stroke lengthened. She actually took fewer strokes on the fourth length than, than she did had taken on the third. And that's extremely unusual, the ability to be swimming much more effortfully, I would say, on that final length um, and swimming faster and at the same time lengthen your stroke. So how much of that is down to the words that we so often hear associated with great athletes like drive and grit and determination? And how much of that is thoughtful practice and making the conscious decision that swimmers typically shorten their strokes at the end, but I, Katie Ledecky, the great champion, will lengthen my strokes? How much of it is conscious? I think it's likely that it's not a real conscious thought with Katie, that it's an instinct and that it's an instinct that's rare. Uh, what what sets her apart from others? Well, physically, is she she different? She's not different. She's tall, yes. Uh, she's five feet eleven and, and a fraction, I think. But she was not taller than the people she was racing. When you when you're swimming uh, at that level, or when you're swimming at the Olympic level in freestyle, you're tall. You just don't get into into an Olympic final without being tall in freestyle and in backstroke as well. So she's five feet 11 
in the in the case of the World Championships last summer, Federica Pellegrini of Italy was also five feet eleven, and Missy Franklin is six feet three. And yet, Katie took thirty nine strokes on the final length in Kazan. Pellegrini, who's the same height, took forty six strokes, and and Missy Franklin, who is four inches taller, took forty three strokes. So. Katie does some things by instinct. I'm not certain that that is a function of, say, her coach saying, Katie, I'd like you to hold a certain stroke count. In some cases, it is true. She does certain things by instinct. Now, what is the aspect of grit? Well, the aspect of grit and determination that comes into this, I think it's obvious to anyone who watches her, especially um, on the second length of that relay last night. She didn't really have to pull ahead. Uh, on the second length, she had four lanes to swim. A more cautious or conservative approach would have been to pull ahead a little bit on the third length and lengthen her lead on the fourth. But I think she has such an indomitable will to win that she was sort of sending a message to, to the Australian swimmer in the next lane that um, this race is over on the second lane uh, to do that by really going to a higher level earlier than most people would. They would do it closer to the end. So Ledecky reportedly got a new coach in 2012 before the Olympic trials, and the coach realized she couldn't do a pull-up or run a mile in even nine minutes. Yeah. How does that make sense? I don't think that's important at all. (laughs) <laughs> that she couldn't run a mile in nine minutes. There's absolutely no crossover between running fitness and swimming fitness. No transfer whatsoever. And as far as doing a pull-up, well, I, I yes, I think that's important. But back when Michael Phelps set his first world record at age 15, he was the weakest swimmer on his team in the weight room. He's the weakest swimmer on his team, and yet he, he was the one with the world record. So how important is that? I don't know. It's, it, it doesn't hurt, but it's not a determining difference, I think. And I, certainly, I think that strength that Katie has gained is among the factors that has let her do something like swim a world-class 100-meter freestyle. I mean, to be able to be world-class in not just the 400, 800, and all the way to 1500, be the dominant swimmer in the world, and be world-class in the 100 meters on a relay, that's extremely unusual. And I would say the increased strength probably factored in there. The, the you know, if she ran, even if she ran a five-minute mile, I don't think that would make a bit of difference. So we talked about the length of her stroke. Um, we were emailing before the interview, and you said freestyle is really the only stroke with noticeable idiosyncrasies in technique. And I've heard it was even discussed on NBC that Ledecky, quote unquote, swims more like a a male swimmer typically swims. What is it about her stroke other than, than the length that is kind of idiosyncratic, especially compared to the other uh, women competitors? Yeah. As far as whether Katie swims like a male swimmer, I I would dispute that. I think she swims like a world-class woman. If you look at Katinka Hosu from uh, Hungary uh, or Kate Campbell from Australia, who's the the fastest sprinter in the world, you're going to see people who look like Katie. You know, they're very athletic. Um, So I I would dispute that she or they swim like men. They swim like highly athletic women. Um, and I, I think it's beautiful. I, I, I love watching it. It's, it's especially the camera angle when they show the, 
the swimmers from a low front angle on the final lap are just thrilled to watch their athleticism. So it's not that she swims like a man, but she does, you know, she does certain things at an extremely high level that even at that elite level are unusual. So let's get back to the idiosyncrasies that are present at freestyle. Uh, the next most idiosyncratic stroke in, in terms of seeing noticeable differences in the form of between the eight people in the final would be breaststroke. But freestyle is really noteworthy. Why is freestyle different? The, the main reason freestyle is different. So if you look at butterfly and breaststroke, in those strokes, the arms and legs move simultaneously. And the head is moving in the direction of travel when you breathe. In backstroke, the arms and legs are, are moving alternately, as is true in freestyle, but the head never, never moves. You don't have to move the head to breathe. The big difference maker in freestyle is that the arms and legs are moving alternately, which means twice as many opportunities for difference as when they move simultaneously. Ah, at the same time, the head, which is 8% of body mass, is moving to the side on every stroke cycle for a breath. So in 92% of your body mass is moving forward, 8% is moving to the side about once every second and a half or 15 to 18 times a lap um, that, that is occurring. So 8% of body mass will move to the side. And some people manage it very well and manage it differently. And that's why you see those idiosyncrasies that are not there in other strokes. Okay, so I'm going to watch the 800 Freestyle with Katie Ledecky on Friday. How can I be a more savvy viewer? How can I understand what she's doing in that race? And not only that, but actually to observe some things that you can apply should you wish to swim better yourself. Because, you know, while few women are, are going to be 5 feet 11, there are certain things that Katie does, that Michael Phelps does, that other top swimmers do that, um, that are learnable. So I'd, I'd say the very first thing is to notice when, while Katie is swimming, that her head is fairly low in the water, that her head is aligned with her spine. If you go to your, your local pool and watch people swim, uh, you're going to see them generally swimming with the head held much higher and not aligned with the spine. Uh, so that would be first. And watch while she breathes. When she takes a breath, she, you, you'll probably notice and find it interesting uh, that she only has one goggle out of the water, which means most of her face is, uh, you know, or at least half of her face is below the surface as she breathes. And again, if you contrast that with what you see at your local pool, you're going to be seeing people lift and noticeably whip the head as it moves to the breath. Uh, third, you're going to notice that as she takes the breath, and the reason I'm emphasizing the breath so much is because, again, what I, what I said earlier, that the head is 8% of body mass, and when it is out of alignment, when it is lifted, when it is moving independently of the rest of the body, it really disturbs all aspects of your stroke. So the third aspect I, I would suggest people watch is that her head moves in sync with her body. It doesn't move independently. When she moves to the breath, when she returns to the breath, the head is moving with the body's rotation. Uh, so, so the head is pretty easy to look at and, and learn some things from. The next would be in every stroke, you will notice that she, her body reaches full extension. In other words, she's reaching forward with her hand and she completely extends her body line. She completes an extension of her body line in, in every stroke, even though 
she is stroking quite rapidly at a, at a rate of about seven-tenths of a second per stroke or 1.4 seconds per stroke, complete stroke cycle. That's an extremely fast turnover, and yet she finds the time while doing it to, to extend her body to its fullest length in every stroke. And again, if you watch people at the pool, you will not see that. So what's a takeaway? Uh, first, uh, to keep your head in line, uh, to move it with the body when you breathe, as Katie does. Secondly, to focus on, if you are slumping, to extend the body line. Focus more on extending the body line than you focus on pushing water back. So, for instance, as your left hand is pushing back, your right is reaching forward. Focus more on the one going forward than the one going back. And finally, um, that her kick is controlled. She will probably swim at some point with what's called a two-beat kick which is two leg beats per full stroke cycle. And at the end of the race, as she's picking up her pace, she will probably move to a six-beat kick, which is six beats per cycle, a steady kick. But in both cases, the legs are staying streamlined behind the upper body or within the shadow of the upper body. And um, it's, it's a much more controlled kick. Um, most people will have a churning, ineffectual kick that's not helping them at all. So if they focus on keeping the legs inside the shadow of the upper body and less on churning them, that will help. All right. Last question for you, Terry. You teach a fish-like swimming technique. If there's an animal out there that people should not emulate? What would that be, like a crocodile? How, what, um, what should I not terrestrial swim terrestrial mammals. Humans are terrestrial mammals trying to do an aquatic activity. And we swim like terrestrial mammals. If you think about how dogs and deer and other terrestrial mammals swim, head up to avoid choking, all four limbs to a, going to avoid sinking. So it's about avoidance. And the, the better example to emulate would be fish or aquatic mammals like dolphins. So just don't be a terrestrial mammal is is the baseline. Yeah, if you, if you think about how fish move through the water, they're balanced, they're streamlined, they move with whole body movements, even, even though they're oscillating or undulating movements, it's a whole body movement. And you watch your, your fellow lap swimmers at the pool, and you're going to be seeing uh, a very unstreamlined body and uh, a lot of churning and disconnected movement. Terry Laughlin is a swimming coach and the author of the book, Total Immersion, The Revolutionary Way to Swim Better, Faster, and Easier. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Josh. Thank you for inviting me. This episode of Hang Up and Listen is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button. Their convenient system helps you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all of this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash hangup. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030.
42-year-old cyclist Kristen Armstrong is maybe the most incredible athlete in Rio. Well, she was 42 when she won her third consecutive gold medal on Wednesday. She turned 43 on Thursday. Here's David Epstein, a writer for ProPublica, the author of the book The Sports Gene, and the Hang Up and Listen Olympics Extra correspondent on drugs, short gymnasts, and aging, to tell us how an athlete who seems ancient by sports standards, can achieve at such a high level. When American cyclist Kristen Armstrong won the Olympic time trial, she became the first cyclist, male or female, to win three straight gold medals in the same discipline. But much of the talk about Armstrong's win has centered around her age. Armstrong turns 43 today. Needless to say, we're not used to people in their 40s winning Olympic gold medals. So how big a surprise is this? It's an amazing feat, but I would argue that we shouldn't be so astounded purely by Armstrong's age. Granted, we know that athletes become less explosive as they age. In fact, your so-called fast-twitch muscle fibers shrink more rapidly as you age than do your slow-twitch muscle fibers, the ones that you use for endurance events. That's one of the reasons why sprinters seem to age very quickly. They're losing their fast-twitch muscle fibers. And yet, Many elite sprinters might be older than you think. This year, the top two contenders in the 100-meter dash will be 30 and 34 years old. And that's in an event that really requires those explosive fast-twitch muscle fibers that are disappearing as you age. Kim Collins, a sprinter from St. Kitts and Nevis, recently became the first 40-year-old to run under 10 seconds flat in the 100 meters. The fact is, we don't really know how long athletes can go. For most of history, athletes have retired from their sport long before they really had to for physiological reasons. Maybe they wanted to get on with other careers, or maybe they had injuries, but it wasn't because they couldn't maintain their skills. To get back to Kristen Armstrong, sports like cycling and rowing are actually ideal for aging athletes, much better than the 100-meter dash. Explosiveness isn't as important. An aerobic capacity, the ability to move oxygen through your bloodstream when you're working hard, doesn't deteriorate that much as you age. One fascinating study of a rower, Denmark's Eskild Ebison, who won medals at five consecutive Olympics between the ages of 19 and 40, found that even as traits like his maximum heart rate decreased as he aged, he was able to compensate for it by improving the amount of blood and therefore oxygen that his heart could move each time it beat. Essentially, the athlete's training was able to compensate for his decline in other physical parameters while he aged. Eventually, time caught up with him, of course, but in sports like swimming and rowing, it takes quite a while. As we learn more about how athletes can compensate for age-related declines with certain types of training, we should expect more Kristen Armstrongs, not for her to be a one-off anomaly. David Epstein is a writer for ProPublica, and he's the author of the book The Sports Gene, Inside the Science of Extraordinary Athletic Performance. Now it is time for a quick afterball or after heat or after repechage. I'm going to keep on the Rio mascot theme and name today's after thingy, after Tom, the mascot of the Paralympic Games. He is a magical creature that's a fusion of all the plants in the Brazilian forests. He is not a fusion of most of the plants. He is a fusion of all of the plants. My Tom today begins with the tale of Robel Kiros Habti. If Katie Ledecky is the shining star of the Aquatic Center in Rio, then Ethiopia's Habti as well 
Not that. On Tuesday, he swam his preliminary heat in the men's 100-meter freestyle in one minute, 4.95 seconds, which was 59th out of 59 entrants in the event. That would have been the slowest time in the 2012 Olympics in London. It would have been the slowest time in the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. It would have been barely not the slowest time in 2004 in Athens, but it wouldn't have been even close to the slowest time in Sydney in 2000. Really not even close. That year, Eric Musambani of Equatorial Guinea swam the 100 freestyle in one minute, 52 seconds. That's 43 seconds slower than the slowest guy in Rio. That was Musambani's personal best. And it was also more than a minute slower than the winning time of Peter van den Hogenbond and also slower than the 200-meter world record. Musambani got the nickname Eric the Eel, but as our guest just described, he was definitely swimming more like a terrestrial mammal, head out of the water, more in survival mode than set a world record mode. He was not swimming like the noble and slithery eel. Let's listen to a bit of the commentary from that race in 2000. This guy doesn't look as he's Equatorial Guinea and Adrian, I've never seen anything like this at the Olympic Games before. This guy doesn't look as he's going to make it. Now I am convinced this guy is going to have to get hold of the lane rope in a minute. Well, I thought I'd seen everything in the Olympic swimming pool. We've had nine world records. We've had 19 Olympic records. Musambani was heralded, rightly so, I think, of the Olympic spirit. It comes from a country that does not have anything close to a tradition of swimming. He was cheered as he made it uh, back to the end of the pool. Here's an interview he did where he talked about the experience. And here is the end to our story. In 2012, Eric Musambani became the national swimming coach of Equatorial Guinea. We'd love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at hangup at slate.com. We'll also gather links to the stories we discussed at slate.com slash hangup. Please support the show and the Olympics Extra. One of the best things you can do is subscribe in iTunes. And another good thing you can do is leave a comment and a rating to tell other folks. You can do all that by going to iTunes.com slash Slate Podcasts. Become a fan of Hang Up and Listen on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hang Up and Listen. Our intern is Laura Wagner. The producers of the Olympics Extra are Afim Shapiro and Dan Bloom. The executive producer of Slate's podcast is Steve Lichtai, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. Hang Up and Listen as part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Remember Ralph Metcalf, and thanks for listening. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.